Chapters twenty two and twenty three of Rose Mather, a tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty two The Wounded Soldier. Widow Sims was going to the army, and Jimmy Carleton, who was coming home for a few weeks, was to be her escort to Washington. During the summer, Jimmy had seen a good deal of hard service. He had been in no general battle, but had taken part in several skirmishes and raids, in one of which he received a severe flesh wound in his arm, which, together with a sprained ankle, confined him for a time to the hospital, and finally procured for him a furlough of three or four weeks. Rose was delighted, and this time the federal flag was actually floating from the cupola of the Mather mansion in honor of Jimmy's return. But there was no crowd at the depot to welcome him that custom was worn out and only the mather carriage was waiting for jimmy whose right arm was in a sling and whose face looked pale and thin from his recent confinement in hospital altogether he was very interesting in his character as a wounded soldier rose thought as she made an impetuous rush at him nearly strangling him with her vehement joy at having him home again and jimmy was very glad to see her glad too to meet his mother but his eyes kept constantly watching the door and wandering down the hall as if in quest of someone who did not come during the weary days he had passed in the georgetown hospital annie graham's face had been constantly with him and as he watched the tall wiry figure of the nurse who always wore a sunbonnet and had a pin between her teeth he kept wishing that it was annie and even worked himself into a passion against his sister rose who in one of her letters had spoken of annie's proposal to offer herself as nurse and her violent opposition to the plan if rose had minded her business annie might possibly have been in this very ward instead of that old maid from massachusetts who looks for all the world like those awful good women in boston who don't wear hoops and who distribute tracts on sundays in the vicinity of cornhill why can't a woman look decent and distribute tracts too annie in her black dress with her hair done up somehow would do more good to us poor invalids than forty strong-minded females in pasteboard bonnets with an everlasting pin between their teeth thus jimmy fretted about rose and the massachusetts woman who in spite of her big pin and pasteboard bonnet brought him many a nice dish of tea or bowl of soup until the order came for him to go home when with an alacrity which almost belied the languor and weakness he had complained of so bitterly he packed his valise and started again for rockland this time he wore the army blue but the suit which at first had been so fresh and clean was soiled and worn and hateful to the fastidious young man who only endured it because he fancied it might in some way commend him to annie graham rose had written that she worshipped the very name of a soldier especially if he were a poor private her sympathies being specially enlisted for that class of people and jimmy was a poor private and a wounded one at that with his arm in a sling and a cane in his hand and his curly hair cut short and his coat all wrinkled and soiled and his knapsack on his back and he was going home to annie who surely would welcome him now and hold his hand a moment and possibly dress his wound that would be delightful and jimmy's blood went tingling through his veins as he felt in fancy the soft touch of annie's fingers upon his flesh and saw her head crowned with the pale brown hair bending over him he felt a little disappointment that she was not at the depot to meet him while his chagrin increased at the tardiness of her appearance after his arrival home but she was coming at last and jimmy's quick ear caught the rustle of her garments as she came down the stairs and into the room smiling and blushing as she took his offered hand and begged him not to rise for her you are lame yet i see i had hoped your ankle might be well 
she said glancing at his cane which he carried more from habit and because it had been given him by an officer than from any real necessity his sprained ankle was almost well and only troubled him at times but after annie's look of commiseration at the cane and her evident intention to pity him for his ankle rather than his arm he found it vastly easy to be lame again and even made some excuse to cross the room in order to show off the limp which had not been very perceptible when he first came in and annie was very sorry for him and inquired with a great deal of interest into the particulars of his being wounded and kindly sat where he could look directly at her and thought alas how much he was changed from the fashionably dressed saucy-faced young man who went from them only a few months before short hair was not becoming to him neither was his thin burnt face neither was that soiled blue coat and he looked as little as possible like a hero whom maidens could worship some such thought passed through annie's mind while rose too felt the change in her handsome brother and with a puzzled expression on her face said to him as she stood by his side how queer you do look with your hair so short and the hollows in your cheeks does war change all the boys so much are tom and will such frights rose mrs carleton said reprovingly while annie looked up in surprise pitying jimmy whose chin quivered even more than his voice as he said tom and will have not been sick like me and then there's no denying it officers have easier times as a general thing than privates i do not mean by that that i regret my position for i do not somebody must take a private's place and it would better be i than a great many others but rose i shall regret it perhaps if by the means my looks become obnoxious to my sister and friends there was a marked emphasis on the word friends and jimmy's eyes went over appealingly to annie who remembered how proud the boy dick lee used to be of his beauty and guessed how rose's remarks must have wounded him rose suspected it too and winding her arms around his neck she tried to apologize forgive me jimmy she said i did not mean anything only your hair is so short just like the convicts at charlestown and your coat is so tumbled and dirty but hannah can wash that or i can buy you a new one and rose stumbled on making matters ten times worse until mrs carleton succeeded in turning the conversation upon something besides her son's personal appearance annie was very sorry for him and her sympathy expressed itself in the soft light of her blue eyes which rested so kindly upon him and in the low gentle cadence of her voice when she addressed him and her eager haste to bring him whatever she thought he wanted and so save him the pain of walking mrs carleton saw through that ruse at once she had noticed no limp when jimmy first came in and she readily suspected why it was put on but it was not for her to expose her son from a lady who had spent a few days at the mather house and who once lived near hartford mrs carleton had learned that the dr howard who had died of cholera in forty nine was highly respected both as a gentleman and a practising physician and this had helped to reconcile her in a great measure to whatever might result from her son's evident liking for annie graham nay annie howard and as she more than half suspected the heroine of jimmy's boyish fancy how very beautiful jimmy thought annie was after he had had time to recover himself a little and look at her closely she was in better health and certainly in better spirits than when he saw her last her cheeks were rounder her eyes were brighter and her hair more luxuriant and worn more in accordance with the prevailing style this was rose's doing as was also the increased length of annie's dress which swept the floor with so long a trail that the widow sims had made it the subject of sundry invidious remarks 
needn't tell her that a widder could wear such long switchin gowns and think just as much of the grave by the gate she knew better and miss graham was beginning to get frilicky she could see through a millstone this was mrs sim's opinion of the long gored dress which jimmy noticed at once admiring the graceful symmetrical appearance it gave to annie's figure just as he admired the softening effect which the plain white collar and cuffs had upon annie's dress when he was home before everything about her was black of the deepest dye but now the sombreness of her attire was relieved somewhat and jimmy liked the change he could look at her without seeing constantly before him the grave by the churchyard gate where slept the man whose widow she was she did not seem like a widow she was so young only twenty-one as jimmy knew from rose who delighted with the friendly meeting between her brother and friend was again building castles of what might be could rose have had her choice in the matter she would have selected tom for annie he was older steadier while his letter seemed very much like annie tom had found the saviour of whom isaac sims once talked so earnestly in the prison-house at richmond he was better than jimmy rose reasoned and more likely to suit annie still if it were to be otherwise she was satisfied and in a quiet way she aided and abetted jimmy in all his plans to be frequently alone with annie it was annie who rode with him when mrs carleton was indisposed and rose did not care to go annie who read to him the books which rose pronounced too stupid for anything annie who brought his cane and annie who finally attended to his wounded arm the physician did not come one day mrs carleton was sick and rose positively could not touch it and so annie timidly offered her services and jimmy knew from actual experience just how her soft fingers felt upon his arm his pulse throbbing and the blood tingling in every vein as she dressed his wound so carefully asking anxiously if she hurt him very badly he would have suffered martyrdom sooner than lose the opportunity of feeling those soft fingers upon his flesh and so it came about that annie was his surgeon administered daily to the wound which healed far too rapidly to suit the young man who began to shrink from a return to the life he had found so irksome tom had written twice for him to come as soon as possible and now only one day more remained of the month he was to spend at home the widow sims was ready to go with him susan had gone to her mother and the cottage was to be closed subject to a continual oversight from mrs baker and an occasional inspection from both rose and annie the box which isaac had hidden in the barn waiting for the bonfire which should celebrate our nation's final victory had been brought from its hiding-place and baptized with the first and only tears the widow had shed since she went back to her humble home and left him in the graveyard sacred to her was that box and she put it with her best table and chairs bidding annie graham see that no harm befell it and saying to her in case i never come back and peace is declared burn the box for isaac's sake right there on the grass-plat which he dreamed about in richmond and annie promised all as she packed the widow's trunk putting in many little dainties which rose mather had supplied and which were destined for the soldiers whom the widow was to nurse she had been all day with mrs sims and rose had been back and forth with her packages curtailing her calls because of jimmy with whom she would spend as much time as possible jimmy was not in a very social mood that day the house was very lonely without annie and the young man did nothing but walk from one window to another looking always in the direction of widow sims and scarcely heeding at all what either his mother or sister were saying to him when it began to grow dark and he heard rose speak of sending the carriage for annie as she had promised to do he said i ought to see mrs sims myself to-night and know if everything is in readiness for to-morrow 
i will go for mrs graham and rose don't order the carriage there is a fine moon and she that is i would rather walk oh jimmy she exclaimed i'm so glad tell her so for me i thought at first you did not like each other and everything was going wrong i am so glad though i had picked her out for tom i most know he fancied her and then he is a widower it would be more suitable rose meant nothing disparaging to jimmy's suit she did think tom with his thirty-two years better suited to annie who had been a wife than saucy-faced teasing jimmy of only twenty-four but love never consults the suitability of a thing and jimmy was desperately in love by this time it was not possible for one of his temperament to live a whole month with annie as he had lived and not be in love with her her graceful beauty brightened by the auxiliaries of dress and improved health and the thousand little attentions she paid him just because he was a soldier had finished the work begun when he was home before and he could not go back without hearing from her own lips whether there was any hope for him the scamp the scapegrace the rebel as he had been called by turns what rose said of tom brought a shadow to his face and as he walked rapidly toward widow sims not limping now or scarcely touching his cane to the ground he thought of tom old tom he called him wondering how much he had been interested in annie graham and asking himself if it were just the thing for him to take advantage of tom's absence and supplant him in the affections of one whom he might perhaps have won had he an opportunity but tom has had his day jimmy thought he can't expect another wife as nice as mary was and it is only fair for me to try my luck i never loved any one before jimmy stopped suddenly here stopped in his soliloquy and his walk and looking up into the starry sky thought of the boy at new london and the hills beyond and the hotel on the beach and the white-robed little figure with blue ribbons in the golden hair and the soft light in the violet eyes which used to watch for his coming and looked so bright and yet so modest withal when he came louise her aunt had called her and he had designated her as lou or lulu just as the fancy took him i did love her some jimmy thought yes i loved her as well as a boy of seventeen is capable of loving as i deceived her shabbily i wonder where she is she must be twenty or more by this time and a woman much like annie if i could find her who knows that i might not like her best and for a moment jimmy revolved the propriety of leaving annie to tom while he sought for his first love of the pequot house but annie graham had made too strong an impression upon him to be given up for a former love who might be dead for aught he knew and so tom was cast overboard and jimmy resumed his walk in the direction of widow sim's cottage the widow's trunks were all packed and ready everything was done in the cottage which annie could do and with a tired flush on her cheek a tumbled look about her hair and a rent in the black dress made by a nail on one of the boxes annie was waiting for the carriage and half wishing as she looked out into the bright moonlight that she was going to walk home instead of riding the fresh air would do her good she thought just as jimmy appeared at the door he had come to see if there was anything he could do for mrs sims he said and to escort mrs graham home annie's cheeks were very red as she went for her shawl and then bade good-bye to mrs sims whom she did not expect to see on the morrow as soon as they were outside the gate jimmy drew her shawl close round her neck and taking her arm in his said to her the night is very fine and warm too for the first of november you won't mind taking the longest route home i am sure as it is the last time i may ever walk with you and there is something i must tell you before i go back to danger and possible death 
he had turned into a long grassy lane or newly opened street where there were but few houses yet and annie knew the route would at least be a mile out of the way but she could not resist the man who held her so closely to his side she must hear what he had to say and with an upward glance at the clear blue sky where she fancied george was looking down upon her she nerved herself to listen annie he began i've called you mrs graham heretofore but for to-night you must be annie even if you give me no right to call you by that name again annie i have been a scamp a wretch a rebel and almost everything bad i deceived a young girl in new london years ago when i was a boy rose told you something about it once her name was louise lulu i called her and i made her think i loved her and didn't you love her annie asked suddenly her voice ringing clear in the still night and making jimmy start there was something so quiet and determined in its tone still he had no suspicion that the woman beside him was the girl he had left on the beach at new london and he continued yes annie i did as boys of seventeen love girls of fourteen she was pretty and soft and pure and good and i kissed her once on her forehead and then i went away and never saw her after or knew what became of her and i am telling you this by way of confessing my misdeeds for i've been a fast and reckless young man i've gambled and sneered at the bible and broken the sabbath heaps of times and flirted with more than forty girls some of them not very respectable either and none as pure as little lulu i ran away from home and nearly broke my mother's heart i joined the rebel army and fought against my brother at the battle of bull run i was captured by bill baker and led with a halter to washington and there shut up in prison a fine character i give myself and yet after all this i have dared to love you annie graham and i have brought you this way to ask if you will be my wife not now of course not before i go back but if i come through the war alive will you be mine then annie tell me darling and don't tremble so or turn your face away annie was shaking in every joint and the face which jimmy tried in vain to see was white as ashes she had expected something like this when he led her down that grassy lane but nevertheless it came to her with a shock making her feel as if in some way she had injured her dead husband by listening to another's love and still she could not at once repulse the young man whose arm was around her and who had drawn her to a gap in a stone wall where he made her sit down while she answered him strange feelings had swept over her as she heard jimmy carleton's voice telling her how much she was beloved how from the first moment he saw her he had been interested in her and asking her again if she had anything to give the recreant jim he said the last playfully but there was a great fear at his heart lest her silence portended evil to him no mr carleton i have no heart to give you i buried it with george i can never love another forgive me if in any way i have misled you i was only kind to you as i would be to any soldier bill baker for instance came savagely from jimmy's lips he was cruelly disappointed for he had not believed annie would refuse him as she had done he thought a good deal of himself as a carleton nay he believed himself superior to the man who was standing between him and the woman he coveted and to be so decidedly refused by one who had been content with a person in george graham's position angered him for a moment annie knew he was offended and when he spoke of bill baker she said to him gently you mistake me mr carleton if necessary i could do for william baker more than i have done for you 
but it would only be from a sense of duty there would be no pleasure in it while caring for you was a pleasure because you are mrs mather's brother and because because she did not know how to finish the sentence for she could not herself tell why it had of late been so pleasant for her to do for jimmy carleton those little acts of kindness which had devolved on her she was only interested in him as a soldier she insisted and she tried to make him understand that her decision was final that were george dead a dozen years she should give him the same answer as she did now she could not be his wife and jimmy understood it at last and by the terrible pangs of disappointment which crept over him the pequot girl was fully avenged for the many times she had watched from her window of the hotel or walked sadly along the road by the bay to see if dick lee were coming but annie had no wish for revenge she was only sorry for him and she tried to comfort him with the assurance of her interest in him and by telling him that if ever he was sick in hospital or camp and unable to come home she would surely go to him as readily as if he were her brother jimmy did not particularly care for such comforting then and his face when he reached home wore so dark and sorry a look that rose knew at once that something was wrong but she refrained from asking any questions then feeling intuitively that both annie and her brother would prefer to have her do so it was a very grave silent party which met at the breakfast-table next morning and only annie was at all inclined to talk she tried to be cheerful and appear as usual to the silent young man who never looked at her as she sat opposite him with her smooth bands of hair so becomingly arranged and her eyes so full of pity for him she could not revoke her decision but she was sorry to send him from her with that look upon his face and when after breakfast she met him for a few moments alone in the library she laid her hand timidly upon his arm and said jimmy don't be angry with me try to think of me as your sister your best friend if you like it grieves me that i have made you so unhappy she had never called him jimmy before in his hearing and as she did it now the dark handsome face into which she was looking flushed with a sudden joy as if he thought she were relenting but she was not she could only be his friend his best friend she repeated and her face was very pale as she told him how she should remember him and work for him and pray for him when he was gone and then she gave him her hand saying to him it is nearly time for you to go i would rather say good-bye here and jimmy took her hand and pressing it between his own said to her you have hurt me cruelly annie graham for i believed you cared for me but i cannot hate you for it though i tried to do so all night long i love you just the same as ever and always shall remember your promise to come to me when i am sick and let me kiss you once for the sake of what i hoped might be she did not refuse his request and when at last he left her there was a red spot on her cheek where jimmy carleton's lips had been from her window she watched him going down the walk and while with widow sims he waited at the depot for the coming of the train she on her knees was praying for him and his safety just as eighteen months before she prayed for george when he was going from her twenty three tom and jimmy jimmy's journey was performed in safety and he won golden opinions from his travelling companion for whom he had cared as kindly as if it had been his mother instead of the crabbed widow in her eternal leghorn with the veil of faded green he had left her at one of the hospitals in washington where she was to begin her work as nurse and hastened on to join his regiment 
captain carleton was glad to welcome back the brother whom he had missed so much but he saw that something was wrong and that night as they sat around the tent-fire he asked what it was and why the face usually so bright and cheerful seemed so sober and sad tom had made minute inquiries concerning his mother and rose and susan sims and even poor old mrs baker but not a word of annie he could not speak of her with that unfinished letter lying in his little travelling writing-case that letter commencing my dear mrs graham and over the wording of which tom has spent more time by far than he did ever the first epistle sent to mary williams that had been dashed off in all the heat of a young man's first ardent passion just as jimmy two weeks ago would have written to annie but tom was eight years older than jimmy his first love had met its full fruition and mary the object was dead tom had always been old for his years he looked and seemed and felt full forty now save when he thought of annie who was only twenty-one then he went back to thirty-two glad that he had numbered no more birthdays he had made up his mind to write to her a friendly letter the first should be he said a letter merely asking if she would correspond with him and hinting at the interest he had felt in her ever since he saw how much she was to rose and how constant were her labours for the suffering soldiers if her answer was favourable he should ere long ask her to be his wife and this is the way he took to win the woman whose name he would not mention to his brother he had been a little uneasy when jimmy first went home for he knew how popular the wayward youth was with all the ladies but as rose had never written a word to strengthen him in his fears he had thrown them aside and commenced the letter which to-night after jimmy was gone he was intending to finish for the morrow's mail he changed his mind however as the night wore on for in reply to his question as to what was the matter jimmy had burst out impetuously with it's all over with me and the widow i went in strong for her tom i told her all my badness confessed everything i could and then she said it could not be i tell you tom i did not know a man could be so sore about a woman and with a great choking sob jimmy carleton laid his head upon tom's lap and moaned like some wounded animal tom who had been as a father to this younger brother was touched to his heart's core and felt as if by having that unfinished letter in his possession he was in some way guilty and as a pitying woman would have done he smoothed the dark curly hair and tried to speak words of comfort what had annie said perhaps she might relent would jimmy tell him about it then jimmy lifted up his head and looking straight in tom's eyes said forgive me old tom i was inclined to be jealous of you rose said you were more suitable and i know you are but tom i did love annie so much after i had swallowed the first husband which cost me a great effort for a widow is not the beau ideal i used to cherish of my future wife tom you don't care for annie do you he continued in a startled tone as something in tom's face affrighted him tom would not deceive him then and he replied i have that is yes i do care for her and i had commenced a letter but don't finish it tom do this for me don't finish it jimmy exclaimed eagerly knowing now how the hope that annie might relent had buoyed him up and kept him from utter despondency don't send it tom leave her to me if i can win her yet she may feel differently by and by her husband is only one year dead let me have annie tom and jimmy grew more vehement as he saw plainly the struggle in tom's mind you've had your day with mary think of your years of married life when you were so happy and leave annie to me at least don't try to get her from me not yet wait a year 
will you tom few could resist jimmy carleton's pleadings when they were so earnest as now and generous tom yielded to the boy whom he had scolded and whipped and disciplined and loved and grieved over ever since the day their father died and left him the head of the family i will wait a year and see what that brings to us and you jimmy must do the same then annie shall decide he said at last and his voice was so steady in its tone and his manner so kind that jimmy never guessed how much it cost the man who had had his day to unlock the little desk and take from it the letter intended for annie graham and commit it to the flames they watched it together as it crisped and blackened on the coals neither saying a word or stirring until the last thin flake had disappeared when tom bent to pick up something which had dropped from the desk when he took out the letter it was mary's picture and in her lap the baby which had died when six months old yes i have had my day tom thought as he gazed upon the fair sweet face of her whose bright head had once lain where he had thought to have annie's lie i have had my day and though it closed before it was noon i will not interfere with jimmy and so the compact was sealed between them and jimmy slept sounder on his soldier bed that night than he had slept before since annie's refusal jimmy was not selfish and as the days went by and he reflected more and more upon tom's generosity his conscience smote him for having allowed his brother to sacrifice his happiness for a whim of his she might have refused him too and then again she might not at all events he had a right to try his luck jimmy reasoned until at last his sense of justice triumphed and he wrote to annie an account of the whole transaction it was mean in me to let tom burn the letter he said but i could not bear the thought of his winning what i had lost and so like a coward i looked on and felt a thrill of satisfaction when i saw his letter crisping on the coals but as proof that i have repented of that selfish act i ask you plainly would you have replied favourably to that letter had it been sent if so tell me truly and without ever betraying the fact that i have written to you on the subject i will manage to have tom write again and if the fate shall so decree i will try to forget that gap in the stone wall where we sat that night when i told you of my love his letter found annie sick in bed from the effects of a severe cold which kept her so long in her room that it was not till just on the eve of the battle of fredericksburg that jimmy received her answer i should say no to your brother just as i did to you this was what jimmy read and with a feeling of relief as far as tom was concerned he crushed the few lines into his pocket and went on with his preparations for the contest at fredericksburg which seemed inevitable with a kind of recklessness which characterized many of our soldiers jimmy had heretofore felt no fears of a battle the bullet which might strike down another would not harm him and he charged his preservation mostly to annie's prayers for his safety but in this her last brief note she had not said so much as god bless you and jimmy's heart beat faster as he thought of the impending danger jimmy seldom prayed but if annie had failed him he must try what he could do for himself and when the night came down upon that vast army camping in the woods and on the hillside it looked on one young face upturned to the wintry sky and the moaning winds carried up to heaven the few words of prayer which jimmy carleton said oppressed with a strange feeling of foreboding he prayed earnestly that god would blot out all his manifold transgressions and if he died grant him an entrance into heaven where annie was sure to go close beside him crouched bill who listened with wonder to the corporal a feeling of terror beginning to creep into his own heart as he detected the accents of fear in his companion i say corporal he began when jimmy's devotions were ended 
be you afraid of somethin's happenin to you when they set us to crossin that darned river and if there does shall i write to the folks and the gal you mentioned and tell em you prayed like a parson the night before jimmy was terribly annoyed with bill's impertinence and for a man who had just been praying did not exercise as much christian forbearance as might have been expected a harsh mind your own business was his only reply which bill received with a good-humoured guess you'll have to try again corporal before you get into the right frame and then there was silence between them and the night crept on apace and the early morning began to break and the wintry sky was obscured by a thick dull haze which hid for a time our soldiers from view then a deadly fire of musketry from the opposite bank of the rappahannock was opened upon them till they fled to the shelter of the adjacent hills where forming into line they again went back to the laying of the pontoon bridges while the roar of the cannon shook the hills and told the listeners miles away that the battle of fredericksburg was begun End of chapters twenty two and twenty three